as you're looking there in chapter 5, I, I, we know these past 13 months have, uh, the coronavirus has done two things to us. First, what, they, what it has done for us is it has, it, has, it has spread among us. Would we agree? But not only that, too, it has separated us. So somebody should have said amen. In March of 2020, the COVID-19 spread like wildfire up until about a month ago when we began seeing that, that maybe things aren't going to always be this way. And maybe there's some of you who are still wondering when is things going to get better, you know? So maybe some of you are still wondering if and when this is going to end. But I can assure you it's closer than it has been. And we're a week behind us now, closer to get things getting back to some normalcy. I hope it doesn't get back to where it was. I hope it gets better. But, I, but it's going to be some, there'll be some normalcy. Uh, parts of the reason why things seem to be turning the corner is because more people over time has come to understand that there were some precautions that had to be that had to be taken for this virus we wear masks or face coverings in public we have separated ourselves from being in gatherings that could potentially uh, cause us to be infected and this hasn't been easy it's been done through much prayer and much supplication and because of that, now we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Now, today, you may find this hard to believe, as I've just shared this with you. Uh, in my thoughts, this kind of reminds me of sexual immorality within the church. <laughs> I got your attention, don't I? You're wondering, what does this virus have to do with this? Now, remember, I said it's done two things. It has spread upon us, and it has caused us to have to separate. Well, when we think about fighting immorality, which is what we're going to talk about today, I can't help but think of sexual immorality within the church. You know what the reality is, is that if we don't take the necessary precautions when sexual immorality raises its head within the church, it will spread like wildfire. It will spread all through the church. And the re remedy is proper church discipline. When a believer refuses to repent and turn to the Lord, then separation must take place. Now, understand what I said. When a believer refuses to repent, a separation must take place. Now, I know you're wondering, I, I don't get it, preacher. That's okay. Just stick with me for a little bit. Don't turn a deaf ear yet. Just stick with me for a little while. As we look into today's text, I, I, I pray that the, this insight becomes very clear to you. As we look here in these three verses... The Bible tells us in verse 6, 7, and 8 of chapter 5 in 1 Corinthians, it says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven 
that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you. We praise you. We lift you up. God, we, we pray that you would minister to our hearts today through this message that you would open our minds open our hearts to receive it and apply it to our lives to where you would be glorified with us and god we pray that you would speak to hearts that are unsaved today that through this message god that they would see their need for a savior they would see their need to call upon the name of the lord and god they'll see that you are faithful and just to forgive them of their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness now, God, have your way, and we'll praise you for it all. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Now, when we think of, when we look in verses 6, 7, and 8, we see these verses and we think, well, this section is on leaven and unleavened bread, but it's actually not. This is an illustration of the whole passage. Paul is writing this and he, in the middle of writing to the Corinthian church, he gives this illustration of leaven and, and we'll see this throughout this message. You know, the city of Corinth, it was, it had the potential to just explode in worldwide missions. It had been estimated that during the time in which Paul wrote this letter, there were half a million people in this city. Um, However, morally, this city was desperately in need of the gospel. If the gospel could make an impact on a city like Corinth, then it could impact the entire world. And it was mentioned in an earlier message that Corinth was an intellectual city. It was a center of in intellect and, and, and high thought and and people who thought so highly of themselves that they felt they were very, very much above others with their intellect. But what we need to also know is that this city was morally corrupt. As Corinth prospered through commerce, tradesmen who traveled through all parts of the world came in to Corinth and they brought with them this spirit of partying. A spirit of drunkenness. A spirit of all sorts of immoral living. This city's very name, Corinth, it became synonymous with evil and immoral living. Even the worship of the local people in that area, they, it was centered around the goddess of love, Aphrodite. The temple, the word these pagans would go to worship, housed 1,000 sacred prostitutes. Understanding this, we can see that having a church that loves the gospel, lives the gospel, and shares the gospel was greatly needed in Corinth. However, any church in the midst of this environment, even Reedy Branch Baptist Church being put in the midst of that kind of environment, we would have to assume that we would be in a spiritual battle against sexual immorality. And here what we find 
is as we approach this text, what we can clearly see is there is a reality that the church in Corinth was facing sexual immorality. Now, when we look at this, there in verse 1, the first part of this verse says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality is not even named by the Gentiles. The passage here, it opens up with Paul addressing sexual immorality and not just sexual immorality, but the specific immorality that's taking place within this church. Paul deals with it at this time. What he deals with is something that's unheard of. Paul speaks of the uh, um, of the Gentiles saying that it had been reported to him that what had been taking place that it is even not known among the Gentiles. Well what he is actually saying here is that this is so morally corrupt that even the Gentiles aren't known for it. Even those who are known for sexual immorality aren't known for this. Even those who are known, uh, those who, um, those who don't have a moral code didn't go this far. Those who didn't have the Ten Commandments of God didn't go this far. Those who were far from God and did not serve the one true God, it, they didn't go this far. And Paul names the actual sin. When Paul names the sin, he shares that he has been informed that a member of the church, do you get that? A member of the church, a professing believer in Jesus Christ has taken his father's wife. You know, Deuteronomy 22 and 30 says, a man shall not take his father's wife nor uncover his father's bed. King James says his father's skirt. Deuteronomy 27 and 20 says, Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed. If that's not enough for you to understand that how corrupt morally this actually is, Leviticus 20 and 11 says, The man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. But both of them, both of them, the man and the father's wife, shall surely, surely, be put to death, and their blood shall be upon them. Folks, what was going on at that time? It was morally corrupt. The problem with it, this going on is that the church was turning a blind eye. Now, when the church turns a blind eye to sexual immorality, it spreads. Sexual immorality spreads when it's overlooked. Do we believe that? Just stay with me a little bit. It spreads just like this coronavirus has spread uh, throughout the last 13 months. If we turn a blind eye to sexual immorality within the church, it's going to spread. It appears here Paul felt what was going on in the church, um, in this church, or with this church member was outrageous. But what was more outrageous was the fact that the church was overlooking it. The church was so puffed up that it didn't see a need to be mourning over what was taking place. In the first four chapters, we talked about the pride that these Corinthian believers were filled with so that they, they preferred their preference rather than the word of God and the truth of God. 
And here we see their pride is, is rising up again in the fact that they, don't want, they, they didn't want to have to deal with this. They thought themselves so superior that, that there was no need to deal with this situation in the church. And Paul tells them, your glorying is just not good. If you don't believe that, look there in verse 6. That's exactly what he says. Your glorying is not good. You know, I'm reminded of that sexual immorality to ignore that in the house of God uh, is not good. I, I'm, I'm reminded of that when we look in 1 Samuel. When we look in 1 Samuel, we find that Eli, the priest, y'all remember who Eli was, don't you? He was the one when Samuel cried out, or Samuel went running to the priest's room and said, did you call me? Samuel says, no, son, I haven't called Or Eli said, no, son, I haven't called you. Samuel goes back to bed. Samuel gets up a second time and runs to Eli and says, did you call me? He said, no, son, I haven't called you. And then a third time he runs to him and Eli says again, I haven't called you, but I'll tell you what, next time you hear this voice, you say, Lord, here am I. Eli was the priest here. Eli was responsible for the house of God. And and Eli had two sons, one by the name of Hophni and the other by the name of Phinehas. And these were wicked boys. These were boys who were to take care of the house of God, but they were wicked. They were unrighteous. They They were just pure filth. And Eli done nothing about it. Throughout their entire lives, he said nothing until he became an old man. And when he became an old man, he looked at those boys and he warned them they've been getting away with it all their lives and now they're getting a warning instead of Eli disciplining his sons instead of Eli sending his sons out of the tabernacle of God he just warns them and shortly after a man of God comes before Eli and says Eli because you failed to honor God By getting this filth out of the church. Now I'm paraphrasing. Your two boys. They're going to die together. On the same day. Soon after that. Israel went into battle with the Philistines. And when they were in battle with the Philistines. On this occasion. Israel was defeated. The ark of God. Was captured. And Hophni and Phinehas died. Word came to Eli. Your sons have died. Israel has been defeated. And the ark of God has been captured. Eli fell back. This old man fell backwards and broke his neck and died. Because he didn't do anything about this immorality in the church. What was their immorality? Well, uh, it appeared that at this time, that women would come by the tabernacle to worship and these boys would take advantage of them. And because they took advantage of them, they would, they would have sexual immoral acts with these women. And he liked done nothing. And now they're dead and so is he. You know, that, that's not all the story. Phineas had a wife and she was pregnant. And when word got to her that her husband and her father-in-law had died and then that the ark of God had been captured, she went into labor, gave birth to a son. 
and she named him Ichabod. For the glory of God has departed. And she died. Listen, church family, God's glory does not shine upon sin. Even when Jesus was dying on the cross, God turned his back because he could not look upon the sin of the world. The church cannot turn a blind eye to sexual immorality. If we want God's glory to shine upon us, we cannot turn a blind eye to these things. If we do turn a blind eye, if we overlook sin, it will spread. Paul asked the question, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Paul is likening sin to leaven. Leaven is used to make dough rise. In other words, it's an ingredient that is played, that is used to alter, to modify, to transform something. And if the church allows sexual immorality with no discipline within the church, it will transform, it will modify, it will alter things in the church. What will it alter, preacher? Well, I'm glad you've asked. I know you're sitting there wondering. Well, one, it will cause the perception in the church to be to be changed within the church of course there'll be those who notice the immorality and they'll leave they won't want nothing to do with the church they'll say i'm not going to be part of this field and that will alter modify and transform the church but not only will we see that there'll be those believers who will leave but believe it or not there'll be those who say well if they're getting away with it so can i so can I. And what will happen is that no one will hold anyone accountable any longer because too many people know what's going on in each other's lives. And because we know the sin in your life, you ain't going to say nothing about me because I'll expose you no matter what the sin is in my life. You know where I'm going now? You, you see where, what I'm saying? It will spread to where people cannot hold each other accountable because nobody will want their sin made public. And it will alter modify and transform the fellowship of the church but not only that it will change the it will change the perception of the community of the church what do you mean preacher well <laughs> i want you to know if we when the community knows of the sin that's taking place within the church and by the way they will they will. We can't keep it quiet. They'll know. They'll know what's going on. They'll probably know before we know. Uh, it'll make it awfully hard to witness to them, won't it? When they know what's going on and we go to witness to them, they're not going to want to hear it. They'll turn a deaf ear to it. you know why? Because the lost don't go to the lost for them to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The lost wants to go to those who are not only believing but are living the gospel. And, <laughs> and it will modify, it will alter, it will transform the church. Folks, listen, when the glory of God has departed from the church, the church might as well be lost. We will no longer be able to, we'll be no good to the kingdom of God. And when we're not able to win the lost, this will transform, this will modify, it will alter the church. Well, so we see now, don't we? We see that 
the re, there's a reality that sexual immorality will spread when it's overlooked. Now, the question becomes to us, what's the remedy for sexual immorality in the church? <laughs> well, the remedy for sexual immorality certainly is not to ignore it. The remedy for sexual immorality in the church is not to wait and see if it will stop. The remedy is not to wait to hear from the Lord because we have the scriptures, so we hear from the Lord. To follow the scriptures is to hear from the Lord. Matthew 18, 15 through 20, it gives us the remedy. We, and, and because it gives us the remedy, we are to follow this remedy. When there is sexual immorality in the church, we are to exercise church discipline. We know what Matthew 18 says. If you have a brother who has, a, who has sinned against you, then you go to him. If he will not hear, if he will not repent, then you take another brother with you. If he will not hear, then take more than uh, one with you. And if they still will not hear, cast them out of the church. And, and so church discipline has to be used. Sexual immorality, and the reason it has to be used is because sexual immorality separates. It separates. Paul's instructions are found in verse 5. The church was to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I think King James says so for the saving of the soul. Here, what Paul is saying that we must, that the offending brother is to be turned over. Turned over to Satan. Now, we must be clear now what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the authority of the church. Christ is the head of the church. So under the power, not our own power, but under, our, under the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church is to excommunicate this offending brother. In other words, put him out of the church because that's exactly where he belongs. He is not following the Lord the God of the universe. He is not following Christ, our Lord and Savior. Instead, he's following the Lord of this world, the little L, the one who has principalities, the one who has powers with rulers, the one with rulers in darkness of this age, the one with spiritual hosts of wickedness. He's following the one, or can I say, he is possessed by Satan. So turn his flesh over to Satan. That's what the scripture is teaching us. Now, we know Satan is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And though this offending brother is a believer, he is no longer bringing glory to God. But instead, he's bringing shame upon God. He's hurting the church. He's not helping the church. Now, this may sound cruel, but church discipline must be used. Or sexual immorality will not only spread, it'll separate. Paul uses the illustration again of leaven. As you look there in verse 7, he tells us to purge out the old leaven that we may be a new lump. He says here that we are unleavened because Christ has been sacrificed for us. In other words, Paul was saying that we are no longer who we used to be. Christ has died for our sins and we who have professed Christ to be our personal Savior have been forgiven of our sins and our sins has been cast away from us. And we are now a new creation. 
for the former things have passed away and we have been made new in Christ Jesus. That's why the Passover, or for us, the, when we observe the Lord's Supper, the wafer is so thin. It's not been altered by leaven. And we, the church, the followers of Christ, the saved, we are a peculiar people, a holy nation, and we are not to be modified, transformed, or altered by sin. Now listen, church family, let's, let, let me make this a little clear for us. Paul is telling them to put the sexually immoral brother out of the church. There's no long, he is, we are no, we, the church is no longer to have fellowship with this man. In verses 9, 9 through 13, what Paul wants them to understand that this applies to professing believers, professing Christians. It doesn't apply to those who are lost. You know why it doesn't apply? How can they believe if they have not heard? And how can they hear if there is no preacher? In other words, if no one is sharing the gospel with them, we are to engage with the lost. We are not to engage with their sin, but to engage with them so that they can hear the gospel and, and see the gospel lived out so that they could come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, can I be a little sarcastic? I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure this kind of sexual immorality doesn't exist in the church, not in 2021. Come on. I mean, surely there's no one sleeping with their daddy's wife and no one sleeping with their mama's husband. Not today, not in a part of the church. <laughs> we, nah, that's just unheard of. That's not something for us to even think could happen in the church. Would you agree? Mm. <laughs> well, let me be a little serious with us. Don't answer, but do you think that adultery takes place in the church? Don't answer. Maybe not your mother's husband or your father's wife, but what about somebody else's wife or someone else's husband? What about fornication? I, I'm talking about sex outside the confines of marriage. Whether you've been married or whether you have not been married before, you know to have sex outside the confines of marriage is sin, right? What about homosexuality? Surely the church understands that this is an abomination against God and his holy word, but there's still churches today that are embracing them into their membership. Listen, I want homosexuals in our community and, and where we live to come to this church to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so he can change their lives. But we're not. As long as I'm pastor, we will never receive them as a member of this church. And if you force my hand, I'll walk away. And if you don't walk away with me, God's glory will be removed from you. I don't care what these churches are saying. There's no justification for it. And there are churches in this world who are saying, well, we got to love them. Yes, you love them. Love them enough to tell them the truth. Love them enough to save their soul. Because if they die, pregnancy, and homosexuality, they're going to hell. And there's nothing we can do about that. God, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have done that. Yes, I should have. Yes, I should have. 
You understand it. Now, there are churches I'd have got kicked out of. They'd have stopped me right in the middle of that. I'm so glad I'm here. <laughs> you know, surely the church understands it's an abomination. But what about, what about sexual misconduct with minors? You know, we want to just focus on homosexuality and sexual immorality, don't we? But there's, it's all over the place. Sexual misconduct with minors. This has been a problem in churches and across denominational lines for years. And it's even, it's even been an issue in the Southern Baptist Convention, which we're a part of. Thank God we've got people that are helping, helping our leaders to see this is going on and we've got to do something about it. And just here this year, because a church... A church was adamant about keeping a, a, me, a member of their staff on who had been charged with sexual immorality, found guilty of sexual immorality with a minor as serving as a youth pastor at some time. Now that church has been excommunicated from the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm glad they got that one right. But there's so many that we've still got to get right. Listen, church family, if we want the glory of God to shine upon us, we must keep the biblical standard of church discipline. We must keep the leaven out of the Passover. We must keep active, sinful, sexually immoral lifestyles out of the church. We are to separate from professing believers who refuse to repent for their sexual immorality. But in the midst of this, now listen, in the midst of this, Paul we should be just as Paul has said to these Corinthians. We should be in mourning. Remember Paul was upset that they weren't in mourning over this, but they were puffed up. When we, the church, a fellowship of believers, must exercise church discipline toward another believer, it should break our hearts. That's our brother and sister. Doesn't it break your heart when you're not in good standing with your brother or sister? Oh, if it doesn't, get your heart checked. Yeah, I, I know there are people we have to love at a distance. And sometimes that might be family. But it should break our hearts that we can't be closer to them than what we are. Man, I tell you what. If Taylor don't mind, I, I'm going to share this. Iola may, they get me, they get me afterwards. They get me afterwards. You know, when Iola was pregnant, we, we come to an understanding together that uh, she would never say, wait till your daddy gets home. Or she would never say, wait till I tell your daddy. But if something needed to be took care of as far as discipline, she would do it. Because daddy, one day, I was doing power line work. One day, daddy might not make it home. And when we come here, Taylor was nine years old. And I was on the road going to Duke and Chapel Hill and Moore County. And being on the road is a dangerous place to be. And I just might not make it home. And she needed to have respect of her mother, not just her father. And Iola did. She did discipline her. As a matter of fact, we were blessed. We were blessed. Now, Iola got her quite a bit when she was little. And she was little. She got her quite a bit. I had to get her once. And I want to tell you, it broke my heart. I had to do it. I tell you what, it, it, she knew it was coming. And she called her aunt next door. And her aunt come over there and abused me out. And I, I had to ask her to go home. 
Just go home. This has got to happen. I had to get myself together before it happened. And when it happened, I was hurting. You hear me? I was hurting. For the first time in my life, I understood what mom and daddy said. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I had to discipline mine. And it hurt me. As a matter of fact, I had to get by myself. I didn't want to talk to Iola. I didn't want to talk to nobody. I had to get by myself and just talk to the Lord. Because I didn't understand this feeling. It hurts. And it should hurt. It should put us in mourning if we're having to discipline someone whom we love. But the goal has to always be reconciliation. We, it, we, it hurts because we want to be reconciled to them. There should never be a goal. We should never be puffed up that we're going to do this and walk out and say, look what I've done. Look how I, I, uh, how I disciplined them. No, it should be to where we are hurting when we have to discipline one of our own. But Paul says something in here. He says to do this. Turn their flesh over to Satan so that their spirit may be saved. As a matter of fact, when we look in 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11, it appears that this offending brother has repented and Paul encourages the church to restore him to their fellowship. You know, it wasn't very long after I had disciplined Taylor that she came and sat in my lap place their head upon my chest and with her head bowed I cried because I understood finally that this is a must this is a must it's a must because we want to bring them into correction we should never never take pleasure in disciplining a member of the church. It should so break our hearts that the only person we talk to about it is the Lord. This is a statement. When we think about over in 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11, how this brother, Paul is encouraging them to, be re, to, re, to restore this brother. It's a testament that following God's word works. Out of those, it works for those who are faithful to following his word. We must love one another and we must love the Lord enough to hold each other accountable. For it just may save our lives or at least slow down or stop the spread of sin. That may keep us or cause us to be separated from the fellowship of one another and from our fellowship with the Lord. Paul takes no glory in writing this. I take no glory in preaching this. But I love you too much not to preach it. We preached the whole counsel of God's word and this is what was next. So God meant it for us today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You who are part of the church today. I don't know 
of any sexual immorality that's taking place within our church family. I pray that it's not happening. But if you know something I don't know, I pray right now that you will get that right with God. That right now, as every head's bowed, every eye's closed, we're not asking you to raise your hand. We're not asking you to identify yourself. All we're saying is, if it's going on, stop before God exposes it. And when he exposes it, it must be dealt with. He's being gracious to you. If it's going on, he's being extremely gracious to you right now. But be careful that your evil deeds will be brought to the light. I pray this does not apply to anyone in this church. But if it does, seek God right now. They give you the strength to walk away from that. And if you are here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm sure you're probably thinking, well, I've got out of this. You're probably saying that this message wasn't for you. But listen, I love you too much. Not to tell you that if you don't turn away from the Lord of this world, he will steal, he will kill, and he will destroy you. Today would be a great day to turn to Jesus. And if you turn to Jesus, you can let him separate you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. And he'll never bring it back to your remembrance. And he'll use you to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to this lost and dying world. Would you today, while the church is praying, while they're beginning to sing this song, would you today consider turning away from your sin and turning to Jesus? If you're willing to do that, just pray with me right where you're at. God, I believe Jesus is the Savior of the world. God, I believe he died for my sin. And I believe he arose on the third day. I believe he's at your right hand. And I believe, God, that I'm lost and on my way to a demon's hell. And I believe if I don't receive Jesus as my Savior, hell will be my home. And God, right now, right this moment, I believe and I trust Jesus as my Savior. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Wash me white as snow. Cleanse me up from all my unrighteousness. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that now I am a believer. Now I am saved. Now I am part of your family. Now lead me as I walk in a newness of life. Help me glorify you. And magnify my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.